Just for those who don't know, the story of Marcus is he's a si- was a six-year-old boy. Yes, yeah. I used I worked at the Greater London Council. Yeah, and um, I went to work one morning, and uh, our group secretary. Uh, she, I looked at her, she was very downcast, sad, and almost in tears. So I went to her and I said, Elizabeth, what is happening? And she said, would you believe it? I was putting Marcus to bed. And after prayers, as I was about to leave the room, Marcus said, Mom. He said, yes, Marcus. Mom, why can't I be white? Mm. <laughs> She was taken, she said she was taken aback. Mm. And uh, here is my son that I had deliberately named him after Marcus Mose Agave. And uh, asking why can't he be white? Then she felt that she had failed. And I told her, no, 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 you haven't failed. Is the institutions of state that have failed you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the educational system, the local authority, the, everything, they have failed you. It's not you. It's a bigger problem out there. So that struck a chord in me. That's the issue for identity. Identity, identity. So I decided to find out for myself by going out there and my antennas were sharpened now. Mm. So I was watching and listening to school children and uh, when they coming out of tubes, stations and all that. And then, then I noticed that yes, there was a problem. Hello, my name is Abna Sewa. And you were just listening to Pan-African activist and journalist Achiaba Adair Sibo, one of the architects behind the creation of Black History Month in the UK back in 1987. He was born and raised in Ghana where he was part of the Young Pioneer Movement, established by Osajifor Dr Kwame Nkrumah to instill a sense of patriotism, respect and love for the country in the Ghanaian youth. When he moved to further his education in the USA, his involvement in activism grew and he counts C.L.R. James, Henrik Clark and Jules Mazike among his mentors. In this first segment, Adair Sibor speaks about how the 1966 coup d'etat in Ghana against Dr. Kwame Nkrumah changed his life and what it felt like as a young activist in Washington, D.C., USA, to be part of the biggest rally of black people in 1976. He also tells us what inspired him to develop Black History Month UK. So, Uncle, thank you so much for spending some time with us today on Akadi Magazine. Welcome, everyone. I'm sitting here with Uncle Echaba. Nice to meet you. Thank you, thank you very much, and I'm very happy and honoured uh, to be with you this morning. And um, your audience, readership, I say hello to them. Thank you so much, Uncle. So I wanted to just start by giving a bit of background about your illustrious career so far. 
I mean, I had the pleasure of meeting you at the unveiling of the blue plaque for the late Darkest Howe. And I know that you worked with him and his uncle, CLR James. And even before that, you were very active in the Pan-African movement in this country, in the UK. Could you tell me a little bit more about your early beginnings, where that all started from in Ghana? Well, I was blessed to have been born at a period of um, African history where Ghana or the area called the Gold Coast then had become the high point of resistance against colonial rule. And uh, it was as a result of Nkrumah, George Padmore, C.L.R. James, Du Bois, and a host of people who gathered at Manchester in 1945. But prior to that, they had been meeting in London, trying to see what next, that the Pan-African movement was centered in Europe and the Americas. Mm. And uh, without a land base, what, whatever they were doing was meaningless. Yeah. They had to have a land base. So they had to secure land. And first, the decision was to go to Sierra Leone because of the historical circumstances of the settlement of the area. Then a letter came in from Ghana asking Nkrumah to go home and be a secretary to a group there called the United Google's Convention. Mm. And it was that letter that changed. So they told Wallace Johnson, who was going to Sierra Leone, that Wallace you know going our attention now is on Goku so Nkrumah will be going so he was prepared by CLR James he wanted to finish his doctorate at Nanny School of Economics but they said no you have to go mm. so they took him to Southampton put him in the ship and shipped him to Ghana and mm. that changed the whole history so I was pretty to have been born in the, uh, that period, brought up in that period. Mm. So that period of upheavement, that period of civil rights movements in the U.S. and all that, and uh, uh, in India, fighting to get the British out and all that. So I'm blessed to have been born in that period, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. And then tell me about you being part of the National Young Pioneer. The Young Pioneer Movement, yeah, okay. The Young Pioneer Movement, it was national, and everyone had to be involved. But I had a particular interest because of my attachment to Nkrumah and the CPP at a very early age, very, very early age, at about five, six or so, I was still mesmerized by (laughs) <laughs> and all that so like why so early what was happening that um, so, at five? The, the, it's uh, the whole area that I lived Asawasi Asawasi was the bedrock of the CPP yeah and then the young pioneer movement also was strongest in Ashanti okay and yeah. then we had from Paul Mansu who was the regional coordinator of the Young Pioneer Movement, who also lived in Asamwase. So I happened to <laughs> be caught up in that whole convulsion that erupted in the 50s, getting to the 60s mm-hmm. and through the independence. So all the primary schools and all that were all involved in, in the Young Pioneer Movement. And because of that special attachment, the Young Pioneer Movement 
meant a lot to me. Yeah. And then we went to Adesado, I went to Adesado. Yeah. And um, the Young Pioneer Movement, first, there was no movement there. Okay. Because Adesado was an Anglican, and still is an Anglican school. And the Anglican Bishop of Cra at that time, Bishop Roosevelt, who mm. was a British, mm. he was vehemently opposed to Nkrumah and the CPP. So there was first an attempt by the national coordinator of the Young Pioneer, Zebi Shadow, to launch the Young Pioneer movement at the saddle. And students who were, <laughs> we had to run him out. Mm. So he took the Minister of Defense himself, Kufi Barakun, to come and launch the Young Pioneer movement mm. in Adesado. And, uh, well, because I was in it, I, I, I took to it, and a lot of us took to it. And uh, so when the coup took place in '66, it disturbed me a lot. Yeah. So I organized the Young Pioneer Movement to go to town to go and resist yeah. the coup. But uh, I was young then, and uh, we went. We set out to go into town. They followed me, and the headmaster met me, uh, heard about it, came and say, oh, do you know what you are doing? You're going to put me into trouble. So that 66 school just changed my life yeah. altogether. Yeah. And then from there, you went to America, didn't you? Yeah, from there, I went to the U.S. Um, I was part of a group of 12 people that were selected from around the world. And uh, we were taken there to be instructed in peacemaking, okay. uh, conflict resolution, peacemaking, look in terms of bringing peace to the world. And it was under a Doug Hammersfield scholarship. Doug, Doug Hammersfield was a UN Secretary General who was killed in the Congo. Yeah. Yeah. So it was training young people who can effect peace uh, around the world, mm-hmm. the culture of peace. So that was what got me into the U.S. Mm. and then uh, I got also involved in activism in the U.S. and uh, I quite remember in 76, 76 was a historical period in the U.S. 76 marked the bicentenary 200th anniversary of the independence of the U.S. and uh, there was a series of activities that were being organized to mark it. Then on 25th May, African Liberation Day, the All-African People's Revolutionary Party led by Kwame Ture, Stuki Kamakia and Bob Brown and others, uh, they organized a massive rally mm. at the Malcolm X Park, which was just opposite near the Ghana Embassy. Mm. And I lived also on Mozart Street, which was just about 200 meters away from the Ghana Embassy and for the park. Yeah. And... Um, the APRP, that's Kwame Turi and others, they, I was invited to speak at the rally. How no, old about, would you have been then? Oh, that time I was about 25 mm-hmm. then. I had grown about 25 then. And uh, it was a momentous event. It was the biggest rally of black people mm. in Washington, D.C. At that time, Miriam Makeba and all others people were there. And... Uh, I went on stage and spoke about I'm, Afri- I'm an African and proud in my cloth. Oh, wow. <laughs> Are there pictures from them? There should be somewhere, mm. in the archive somewhere. Mm. There should be some archive somewhere. 
So in the U.S., I got involved. I was a member of the All African People's Revolutionary Party, and I was responsible for organization in the Washington, D.C., Maryland area. Mm. And uh, through that, I was highly trained, yeah. uh, highly trained uh, by Kwame Ture and the group. And then uh, I was also taken on as a, a ward or a son of C.L.R. James at that time. Mm -hmm. So he taught me almost anything I know about yeah. poli politics. Yeah. And at that time, also, I was, because of C.L.R. James, I was lucky also to have learned at the feet of some of the illustrious people that we have. Mm. Uh, Chancellor Williams, uh, Ben Jekanan, Henry Clark, Francis Chris Wilson, and all of them. So I was very lucky, yeah. very, 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 very lucky. Walter Rodney will come, and we have work study sessions and mm. all that we see Larry James. So I was very blessed. Yeah. Yes, very, very, very blessed in Washington, D.C. And there was a special woman, Jewel Mazik. We used to call her Mother Africa. She was the first female to graduate with a master's degree at Harvard University. A brilliant woman. Mm. And uh, I used to go to her about, get to her at about 4 a.m. in the morning wow. till about 6, 8 o'clock. And uh, just studying with her. Yeah. Yeah, teaching me, instructing me. So I've been lucky. No, I've it sounds lucky. like <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I know that that around that time, you know, we had in America, we had Negro History Week, which I feel well, like. Well, well, prior to 76, yeah. it was Negro History Week. And there was a campaign that was launched. And then uh, Ford yeah. was then the president of the U.S. And uh, Gerald Ford assented to the voice of the people. And then as part of the bicentenary, caused it to be changed to Black History Month. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was it. So I almost feel like those seeds of what was happening in America, you brought them to Britain when you came? Or those ideas? I know that Marcus, the young Marcus... Yeah, of course. It's part of, it was become part of me. Yeah. So it resonated. And then, so when that incident happened with Marcus, it said something and there was a flashback. Yeah. There's, uh, something has to be done. Just for those who don't know, the story of Marcus is he si was a six-year-old boy. Yes, yeah. I used I worked at the Greater London Council. Yeah. And um, I went to work one morning, and uh, our group secretary, uh, she, I looked at her, she was very downcast, sad, and almost in tears. So I went to her and I said, Elizabeth, what is happening? And she said, would you believe it? I was putting Marcos to bed. And after prayers, as I was about to leave the room, Marcos said, Mom. He said, yes, Marcos. Mom, why can't I be white? Mm. And she was taken, she said she was taken aback. Mm. And uh, here, is my son that I had deliberately named him after Marcus Mosiah Gavi. And 
asking why can't he be white? Then she felt that she had failed. And I told her, no, 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 you haven't failed. It's the institutions of state that have failed you. Uh, the educational system, the local authority, the, everything, they have failed you. It's not you. It's a bigger problem out there. So that struck a chord in me, that the issue of identity. Identity, identity. So I decided to find out for myself by going out and my antennas were sharpened now. Mm. So I was watching and listening to school children and uh, when they coming out of tubes, stations and all that. And then, then I noticed that yes, there was a problem, particularly with uh, Africans, Ghanaians, Nigerians, who were trying to mimic Afro-Caribbeans. And uh, when you try to, you see someone, you see the facial features, you know that you know that person is from Ghana, and said that they want to be identified as. So it became obvious that there was an issue with identity. So how do we deal with this? Mm. How do we deal with this problem? And it's affecting our children. So that is, that's how the whole thing started. So how did you deal with it? Because I know at that time, Ken Livingstone was the... Was the leader of the Greater London Council. And then you also had these really prominent ministers. So you had now Lord Boating, mm. and then you had, well, Keith Baz at that time and Diana Abbott, some mm. really prominent black MPs. Um, the black MPs came also during that period in 87, but the concept of the Black History Month started in 85. Okay. And we organized a series of activities prior to that. Uh, by that time, these were local councillors and all that, Diana Bort and Keith Vars and uh, Benny Grant in Haringey, mm. Paul Boateng in Brent and all that, and they were members of the Greater London Council. So again, I was lucky to have been thrust into a period that was the Thatcher period, and we had an enlightened leadership mm. that was running London. That's under the leadership of Ken Livingston. And um, they, prior to that, there had been the Caribbean focus done, then uh, race awareness programs being done all over the country, and then the campaigns, London Against Racism and all that. So there was a lot of campaigns that were being done, mm. an inclusive campaign, mm. that so far as you are a taxpayer, no matter where you came from, from India, from Afghanistan, from Yugoslavia, from Ghana, Zimbabwe, South Africa and all that, you are entitled to full service, to enjoy the services mm. uh, that your tax money has been able to provide. So they try to remove discrimination in local government service provision and delivery. And uh, they face a lot of resistance from the Conservative Party and from some Labour and Liberal elements also. 
but we were very lucky that they knew what they were doing and they knew also that they had the greater part of the London population behind them. Mm. That, that was where they got their sense of purpose and energy and drive from because they were grounded. They were very, 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 very grounded. Ken Livingston and the, the whole team at the Greater London Council. And there's another man that I've read about, Mr. Wong, is it Ansel Wong? Ansel Wong, yeah. yes. Ansel Wong, wonderful person who gave me all the support. Ansel was the principal race relations advisor to the Greater London Council. And he headed the Ethnic Minorities Unit, which was under the, the Director General's office. And um, there was an Ethnic Minorities Committee, which... Uh, the deputy chairman was Paul Boatin, you see. So Ansel Wong has a long history of community activism. So he understood where I was coming from, and he gave me all the support, all the support. It was incredible. And uh, we used to sit down and go through things and uh, plan and see how we are going to pass this through the various committees uh, the finance committee, the legal committee, and all that. Everything that we did, we had to go through that. It was following the law. Mm. Uh, it was following the law, the particular sections of the Local Government Act and all that. And uh, we found some loopholes with the help of uh, Lord Gifford and his chambers. Mm. They, they helped us a great deal. So... Uh, we prepared before we got a committee. So there was nothing that they could do but just to approve of it because we will find the necessary acts in the legislation to back what you were doing. Fantastic. I remember reading something about... Oh, this was related to the timing for Black History Month in the Mm. end because you had said October was going to be the timing Mm -hmm. and then somebody said, well, in February they have it in America and Mm. then... You, I think you had said about carnival, should we also change that? Mm-hmm. So are those the types of challenges that you had and how you had to argue your way to make sure that you got... Yes, and I think I got through to the committee very well because the focus is children. You need the attention of children. And when will you get the attention of the children most? It's during the... Uh, fall or the autumn period mm-hmm. when they have just come out of vacation their minds are fresh they are not taxed with exams and all that So, and they are also chatting they are sharing experiences where I, I was, I went to a holidays here yeah, I did this and all that so there is that camaraderie period yeah. and so that was where it had to be situated mm. it had to be situated particularly because of the children and the significance of October during the autumn equinox also to Africa is basically the period of the harvest. Mm. You see, the coming together of people and all that. And it's a period of reflection, a period of self-examination, looking at the community, look at your personal life, look at the family life, look at the national life and all that. Mm. So it's a period of self-examination. Sometimes people say, oh, why October and uh, why is it that Black History Month is so important or Black History is so important that it should, should not be confined to October? Mm. No, then you are missing the point. 
that's not that's not it the point is that the whole year the whole period everything is black history you it's your responsibility to teach your children and all that but there comes a time in your life where you have to pause and you have to examine yourself and see where you're coming from where you are going and all that so you always have to pause and examine yourself so the month of october has been secured for you for self examination your own personal life mm-hmm. at home how are you getting on how is parenting at home mm-hmm. you have to self reflect why is it that i'm afraid that uh, i can't sleep i'm a parent and i can't sleep when my child 10 o'clock has no shown up and all that why is it that i can't sleep you have to question yourself these are the period you know that then the school exclusion and all these things you have to reflect and your financial life why is it that you have to be working three jobs two jobs and you hardly have any time for your children to parent them because you come very exhausted you can't supervise the children's homework and all that why is this so you have to examine your life so it's a period of self examination and we have to be blessed that we've got one month in the british calendar which has been accepted that is your space mm. it's your space mm. so you have to manage that space there's nothing like that no one has anything like that no group of you have anything like that but that is yours it has been secured for you in perpetuity and it is yours to responsibility <laughs> now that's a really really refreshing way of looking at it thank you for listening to this episode in part 2 adesibo talks about African consciousness and the move to encourage people from the African diaspora to return home. The music in this episode is made exclusively for Akadi magazine by Checheku and the Super Pong Stars and is called Life No Day Easy. Akadi magazine is a digital publication connecting Ghanaians in Ghana and the diaspora. Follow us at akadimag on Instagram. and Akadi magazine on Twitter and Facebook. To listen to more content like this, visit our monthly Akadi magazine Connecting Communities podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and wherever you listen to your audio. You can also follow our news on akadimagazine.com and akadimagazine.co.uk.